All right, so uh, let me start us off today with a quote from one of our go-to guys, C.S. Lewis. He writes this in Mere Christianity. The Christian says creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. There's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there's such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that doesn't prove that the universe is a, is a fraud. Probably, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that's so, he writes, I must take care on the one hand never to despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other, never to mistake them for something else of which they're only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself that desire for my true country, which I shall not find until after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. There's another author named Randy Alcorn who put it like this, I've never been to heaven, but I miss it. Do you ever feel that way? I mean, with the way either of these guys described, like you know there's something more than just what this world has on offer. I mean, you like your life, you like your family, even if it feels a little like being in a Mad Max movie every now and then. You enjoy your job and your hobbies, and hey, you live in a pretty beautiful place after all. But given all of this, given all the gifts, is there something, is there a missing Something that you can't quite put into words that you hunger for and that you want, long for, maybe even miss. Well, maybe the best way we can describe this feeling that, that I'm convinced we all have is that we all have a longing for more. We, we want this, but more of it, but more healing, more joy, more contentment, more out of life. Well, if Lewis is right, this is not a feeling that we should just dismiss out of hand or, or try to ignore. It's not a voice we should turn down the volume on, but, but turn up. It's telling us something. It's a voice telling us about a hunger that was meant to be fulfilled. We were created, designed, handcrafted by God himself for more. This is why we're working our way through a sermon series called Heaven on Earth. It's a series about a country that we haven't been to yet, and yet somehow we still miss it. So each week we've opened up a, a postcard from this future place called Heaven on Earth. We've listened to dispatches from another country, and we've learned more about life there, about the world itself, about our bodies, about our relationships that will define us in heaven. And each of these postcards, it, it not only stokes our anticipation and our imagination and hope for the life to come, but it actually, it encourages us and orients us and, and bolsters our life today as we live it now in this world. See, heaven in this way, it's, it's kind of a two-edged sword. Um, it cuts a path of hope for us into the future, but it also cuts through the fog and the disorientation and the brokenness of our world today. The message from heaven says, 
This is your eternal home forever. This is your forever future. And if this is the most true thing about you for the next 100,000 years, and then the next billion years after that, then if it matters in heaven, it matters today. And if it doesn't matter very much in heaven, then it just doesn't matter very much today. The weight of heaven is so much more significant that it actually shapes and clarifies our life today. When our hearts and heads are stuck in heaven, we're free to live our lives right now with a clarity and a conviction. We're freed to let the meaningless things go and to really throw our lives at the things that matter into eternity. So today, here's another snapshot, another postcard from heaven, okay? The Bible tells us that after Jesus has returned, after he's made all things right, after he's judged the world, after he's resurrected everyone from the grave, and after he's recreated, renewed, refreshed, redeemed heaven and earth, that he's going to gather everyone together who he's raised from the dead, and he's going to usher his new family into heaven for the first time. So after you're raised from death, imagine that moment, by the way. Jesus is going to pull back the curtain on this masterpiece that he has recreated, and his diverse global family from all time will wake up to our new home, and we're going to set eyes on it together for the first time. And so here's our question for today. What will you do first in that moment? All right, you're you're remade in a glorious new resurrection body. A curtain has been pulled back, revealing a glorious new resurrection earth. You're home, and Jesus says, go, enjoy, have fun in your forever home. What's the first thing you do in heaven? If any of you know my oldest son, you won't be surprised at all to hear that his plans include finding the nearest ski slope and hitting the powder hard, and I got to admit, I may just join him in doing that. But it's an interesting question, because it makes you ask, wait, what, what will we do in heaven anyway? I mean, we know what makes up our day jobs here, our work, our families, our hobbies, our vocations, but what are resurrection vocations like? I'm going to read us another dispatch from our future home in heaven. The, the book of Revelation is a vision given to the Apostle John of the spiritual reality that's just out of sight, but very, very real. And chapter 5 is a vision of the throne room of heaven as it exists right now. This is God's command center for everything that happens on heaven and in earth. It's the true seat of all power in the universe. The curtain is pulled back. John is given this vision of heavenly reality, okay? That's, uh, I'm going to read the first 10 verses for us. So this is Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break the seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth, was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered 
so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, they fell down before the lamb, each holding a heart and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. By your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. All right, a lot going on there. We're not going to get into everything, at least not this time. But the big idea in Revelation 5 is this. Jesus reigns as the lamb on the throne over everything. And those who follow him, those who show allegiance to Jesus, they reign with him too, both now and forever into eternity. So there it is. Did you catch it in verse 10? Your job description, the the resurrection vocation is this. Are you ready? To reign on the earth. Imagine posting that job description on ZipRecruiter.com. Okay, it would go something like this. The king of everything, who's currently reigning in heaven, is seeking an outgoing and friendly individual to reign over all the earth, a benevolent monarch, if you will. Qualifications include an in-depth understanding of everything that makes the earth and all of human civilization function, including, but not limited to, quantum mechanics, zoology, psychology, and every other ology ever discovered by mankind, but also the ones that you guys haven't even thought of yet. I mean, this is quite a job. And just so you don't think this is one obscure verse that I pulled out for today's sermon, the same resurrection vocation is repeated again in Revelation 22, they will reign forever and ever. It it was mentioned back in Ephesians 2 when we read, God has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is a reference to the throne that Jesus reigns from in heaven even now and is found elsewhere throughout the Bible. This is the Bible's big vision for your calling on earth now and forever. You shall reign on the earth. So two questions for our time together this morning. What does it even mean to reign in God's world? And second, how do we do it? All right? So to wrap our heads around this job description, it's actually helpful to go all the way back to the beginning of the story, to the design of creation and humanity in the very first pages. In Genesis 1, 27, we read this. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And in the very next chapter, Genesis 2, 15, we read, The Lord took man, the man, and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So what we're reading here is that from the very beginning, built into your design, the purpose for which God handcrafted you and then sent you into his good world was to rule 
and to reign here. To have dominion, he says, which is authority and leadership over everything he made. You were designed to fill God's world with good things and to bring its wildness under control, to subdue it, to cultivate, expand it, and beautify it, to work it and keep it. In other words, to reign. This is the great dignity that God gave to humanity when he created us in his image and he charged us with management and leadership in his world. And our sin doesn't remove this calling. It it makes it harder, of course. Our work and vocations are under a curse they didn't begin with and one that will be removed in heaven. But the John description remains the same throughout. Take the raw material of God's good world and cultivate it, create, expand it. So create art that's true and beautiful and good. Organize systems that optimize time and resources for a greater impact. Raise kids to know and love and honor God. Organize your house. Grow wealth that can be a blessing to those around you. Design buildings and landscapes. Heal bodies and minds and spirits. The vocation that makes up our days, it's not ancillary to God's plan for us. It's not secondary somehow and less spiritual than what we do at church or the hours we spend praying. It's actually the point. It's why you were made. You were created by God in love to reign in his world, in his name, for his honor and pleasure. Ephesians 2 tells us we were Uh, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, the gospel of Jesus' grace and forgiveness, it's not an excuse to forget about the ho-hum, humdrum of the everyday world. It's actually the key that unlocks us to serve and lead and reign as we were always designed to do. So Randy Alcorn, who we quoted earlier, says, the God who created us to do these good works won't cancel his purpose when he resurrects us to inhabit his new universe. He'll extend it and expand it and increase it. And this, I think, is where the real imagination and anticipation about our resurrection vocation kicks into high gear. I mean, imagine what it will be like in heaven when the power and presence of sin is removed, when the constraints of time and the limits of creativity are removed, when you're free to fly, so to speak, into the calling and passion that God has placed on your heart. What will you create? What will we cultivate and grow and invent and explore in God's new world, when Jesus unveils the new heavens and the new earth, and he ushers you in with a resurrection body, and he says, go, enjoy, what will you do? There's a theologian named Anthony Hokema who says, the possibilities that now rise before us boggle the mind. Will there be better Beethovens on the new earth? Better Rembrandts, better Raphaels? Will we read better poetry, drama, and prose? Will scientists continue to advance in technological achievement? Will geologists continue to dig treasures up out of the earth? And will architects continue to build imposing and attractive structures? Will there be exciting new adventures in space travel? 
Yes, please. Our culture will glorify God in ways that surpass our most fantastic dreams. Not bad for a resurrection vocation, am I right? So your calling in this life and the next, whether you're a plumber or a banker, a pastor or a property manager, a hairstylist or ski patrol, is to reign over God's creation as his steward, as his management team, as his agent of grace and gospel in the little realm that you've been given agency and authority and influence. Now, of course, some of us have smaller or larger circles of influence. The size of the influence isn't actually the thing that matters. The character of our leadership in that space is what does. So the second question for today, how do we do it? I mean, how do we go about reigning in God's world? Because if there's anything we learn from the life of Jesus, it's this. Authority and authoritarianism are almost polar opposites in his kingdom. And this is why, even though we have stuck pretty close to verse 10 so far in our passage today, that job description of our resurrection vocation, we can't actually understand that calling unless we understand it in the context of the previous nine verses. Here's why. When John is given this vision of the throne room of heaven, he's ushered into the center of all reality, all right? This is where the power lives that everything else runs on. This is where the wisdom lives that organizes everything else in the universe. This is where the love lives that drives every human life and every relationship and every ambition that there is. This is the hub of everything. All right, so so hang with me here, because this vision in Revelation 5, it's basically the secret. It's the secret to your life. All right, this vision can make sense of your life and give meaning to everything you do if you've got the eyes to see it. So check this out. Verse 4, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. All right, at the center of everything is a throne. It's God's throne. He reigns over all things. And everyone in this scene is distraught that there's not someone who can bridge the gap between God's throne and the rest of us. He, he can't reveal the truth of God and reveal the beauty of God. It's all sealed up. There's no one who can bridge the gap until someone arrives who can. He's announced as the Lion of Judah, the one with enough power and holiness to conquer and reign as God himself, one with all the power in the universe. That's who's announced a lion. But who do we see? It's not a fearsome, powerful lion with blood running down his mane from all the enemies that he has slayed on his way to power. A lion is announced, but a lamb arrives. A lamb with blood on his wool, not from the enemies that he's killed, but his own blood from when he was killed on our behalf. And that right there, that surprise ending, that, that totally unlikely twist in the story, at the center of the power of everything, reigning from heaven, a slaughtered lamb, 
That's the secret. That's the gift. That's the thing that can transform and make sense of our lives. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. By your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. See, the reign of Jesus is as powerful as a lion, but it's characterized as a lamb killed on our behalf. The reign of Jesus is a reign of self-sacrifice and service for the sake of others, and so is ours. The reign of Jesus is a humble reign of love that considers others more important than himself, and so is ours. The lamb reigns as the lamb, not as the lion. He reigns from the cross, and so do we, reigning as not as lions, but as lambs. Here's how one author put it. The cross is not only the ground of our salvation, it's also the pattern of our salvation. It's the way of our salvation. The cross is the throne from which he reigns, and he calls us to join him on his throne. He calls us to take up the cross daily. It's the way he makes the kingdom of heaven come to earth. It's how we begin to live out our resurrection vocations even now. So we bless those who curse us and we ask, is this reigning? We pray for those who mistreat us. Is this reigning? We, we do good to those who hate us. Is this what reigning looks like? We love our enemies. Is this leadership? Is this authority? Is this reigning? Yes, this is reigning. Things are not as they seem. And as we talked about last week a bit, reigning looks like those of us in a majority culture humbly listening to our brothers and sisters in minority cultures to hear their experience, to, to dignify their stories, to grow in understanding and empathy for those who look and talk and believe differently than us. It, it, it's staying at the table with them in order to learn and love instead of give it, getting up and leaving when it gets awkward or hard. Reigning looks like serving our families or church or workplaces with small acts of service and kindness that will never be seen or acknowledged by anyone else. Reigning in God's kingdom is upside down. It's being last. It's giving credit to others when things go well and taking the blame when things go poorly. The lamb is on the throne, not the lion. The lamb reigns over the universe. He reigns not by hurting others, but by taking the hurt of others into himself. And he calls us to reign with him and to reign in his way. If your circle of influence is only as big as your immediate family and friends right now, or if your circle of influence includes world leaders, billionaires, and tens of thousands of followers, um, the calling is the same. The vocation that will define your life into eternity in the resurrection shapes the calling of your life today. Reigning with Jesus means reigning like Jesus. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's one of the most challenging verses in the entire Bible, but also one of the most freeing and inspiring to imagine the possibilities 
how will you extend the grace and the gospel of Jesus' kingdom in this world? How will you deny yourself in order to serve others, uplift others, encourage others? How will you humbly bear the authority and the dignity of being made in the very image of God? How will you reign on his earth today and into eternity? Let's pray. Jesus, we're, we're blown away, shocked, and astounded by the twist in the story. You have all the power in the universe at your disposal. You created it with a word. And you could have taken your throne and retained your power in any way you choose, as a lion devouring his enemies, manipulating, destroying, consuming. But you came to power in the most unexpected, upside-down way as one who didn't hurt others but took on the hurt of others for the sake of being crowned king of everything. It's a twist, it's a surprise that if we grasp it and if we receive it as a gift and if we pattern our lives after it as you send us into the world, we'll transform everything we do. God, help us understand the gospel. Help us receive the gift that you are a king on a throne as a lamb slaughtered so that we can be in your family. Jesus, help us understand your love and help us move out into the world patterning our lives after your love as well. Jesus, we ask all these things in your name. Amen.